Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Everywhere that I turn, everywhere that I look, this scripture has just been right there in front of me. All of March, I was reading this thing, and every time I would read it, tears would come to my eyes. God has just um, really blessed me with this passage, and so I pray that this portion of scripture would be um, a blessing to you today, as it has blessed me. And so, this morning, I want to talk to you from the topic, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. You know, the University of California Golden Bears were down 20 to 19 to Stanford with four seconds left in what was known as the big game rivalry. These two teams had been playing since 1892. On November 21st, 1982, with a bowl game on the line in their 85th meeting Things looked hopeless for the Golden Bears. They were down one point with four seconds left in the game. Four seconds was only enough time to maybe receive the kickoff, possibly get out of bounds and pray that a Hail Mary attempt would land them in the end zone and win the game. The game was basically over. Stanford fans, even the band, they were cheering and going nuts because they thought that they had won the game. The final kickoff was all but a formality. Hope seemed to be lost until the play. I want you to watch this video. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, heart-rending, exciting, thrilling finish in the history of college football. And the Stanford band thought they had won the game, so they were already on the field celebrating. Because the game was over, hope was lost. What can you do with four seconds? But let me tell you that it's not over. It's not over when there's time still left on the clock. No matter how terrible things may seem, No matter how hopeless the situation, I don't know what you came in here carrying today, but I know that my God is bigger than what you are facing. There is always hope. There's always hope. In the passage of Scripture that I'd like to examine with you this morning, the people of Jerusalem felt like the University of California must have felt four seconds down, or four seconds left one point down. They felt like there was no reason to hope. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them with me to Lamentations chapter 3? We're going to read together verses uh, 19 through 24, and this is the text that I want to examine today. Um, If you're getting there, uh, Lamentations is after the book of Jeremiah, but if you get to Matthew and Mark, you've gone a little bit too far, so go a little bit back. Find find your way to Lamentations chapter 3. Verses 19 through 24. Here's what it says It says, The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. This morning, I've come to speak to those of you who have come to church as a last ditch effort. 
I've come to speak to those in the room who are going through something so difficult that you don't know how you're going to make it through. I've come to speak to those who feel hopeless and challenge you with the words of Scripture and dare you to hope. Can I dare you to hope this morning? I dare you to hope in the faithfulness of God. You know, hope is a daring thing. It is. If you're like me, then you've probably had your hopes dashed a time or two. You had hoped that your Little League baseball team would win more than just one game. You had hoped that you would get a better grade on that math test. You had hoped that by now you would have had a sports car. You would hope that there's more money in your bank account. You would have hoped to get that promotion. You had hoped that your parents would get back together. You had hoped to be married by now. You had hoped that your kids would be serving the Lord. But time and time again, hope has been dashed. And now you can barely stand to hope because it's easier to just not hope than to see nothing happen again. Am I talking to anybody in the room or is it just me who've had their hopes dashed a time or two? You see, hope is daring. It's daring to hope. And that's why the words of the the poet in Lamentation says, yet I dare to hope. You see, when there's way more month than there is check, or when the doctor gives a bad report, when the babysitter falls through and you have to call off work again, but you really need this job, it can be daring to hope. But this morning, if you find yourself in a hopeless situation, then let me encourage you by saying you've come to the right place. Because with God, there is always hope. Today, I dare you to hope. I dare you to hope. Let me give some context to the passage of Scripture and Lamentations that we read The book of Lamentations is a combination of five different poems of lament. A lament is an expression of grief and loss. See, the Jewish people, they believed that the prophet Jeremiah wrote the five poems of lament in Lamentations. And they believed that he wrote it right after the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. It was written as a beautiful cry of sorrow to God. In the Hebrew Bible, the collection of poems is called Ekah, which is the first word of the poem, and it means how, how. Just as our entire nation stood in silence on the afternoon of September 11th, 2001, and we all collectively asked the question, how could such a thing have happened? The Jewish people stood collectively echoing the words of the prophet in Lamentations saying, how could the city of Jerusalem be in the hands of the Babylonians? How could the city be captured? How could the temple have been destroyed? How could we be carried off into exile? How could this happen? How could this happen? What Lamentation shows us is that God is big enough to handle the expression of your pain. I think we do ourselves a disservice when we skip over the hard portions of Scripture. Because when we do that, then when we get to life's hard times, we don't know how to worship God through our pain. Or rather, we don't have a vocabulary to worship God through our pain. Did you know that over one third of the Psalms are laments? They're spirit-inspired cries of anguish to God. Jesus called from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And did you know that that is a quotation from David's psalm in Psalm 22, a psalm of individual lament. The laments give us a spirit-inspired vocabulary in order to worship God in the midst of our pain and our suffering. I would encourage you, if you find yourself in a hopeless situation, open the book of Psalms, go to the book of Lamentations, and read some of these beautiful poems of lament. Because what you need to know is that grief and sorrow can be worshipped to God as well. Grief and sorrow can be worshipped as well. 
the Jews, they, they still today celebrate uh, a day called Tisha B'Av. And this year it falls in August. And Tisha B'Av is a day where they mourn the loss of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. See, Jews today, they will gather together after fasting all day long. They'll gather in the synagogue in the evening. They'll sit on the ground in silence. And by candlelight, read aloud will be the five poems of the book of Lamentations. And then silently, without greeting each other, they will get up and leave. Because the pain of the loss of Jerusalem still today affects the people. See, the siege and the subsequent fall of Jerusalem was a catastrophic event. In 588 BC, hundreds of thousands of Babylonian soldiers surrounded the walls of the city of Jerusalem. The walls that had protected the people inside had now become a cage. Arrows were shot over the walls into the city. The fields where they harvested their food were outside the city walls. And so to leave the city meant certain death. And so inside the city was disease and starvation. Old Testament writers tell us that things got so bad within the city that cannibalism began to take place. For 18 months, the Babylonians blockaded and starved the city. Then, finally... Using battering rams, they broke down the city gate. The army broke through and there was mass murder in the streets. Men, women, children, the elderly were all put to the sword without regard. The king of the city, King Zedekiah, he took some of his army and he fled in the midst of chaos. When the Babylonians realized that he had escaped, they pursued him. They found him and they brought him to their king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And what they did was they killed his sons in front of him. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar gouged his eyes out so that it would be the last thing he ever saw. They led him off in prison to Babylon. And this fulfilled the words of the prophet Ezekiel. The prince among them will put his things on his shoulder at dusk and leave. And a hole will be dug in the wall for him to go through. He will cover his face so he cannot see the land. I will spread a net for him and he will be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylonia, the land of the Chaldeans, but he will not see it, and there he will die. This was the hopeless situation that they faced. This was the bitterness, the suffering, the homelessness that the poet talks about in Lamentations. To the Jews, the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, it was more than the loss of a city and the demolition of a building. It was the loss of everything that they held dear. And it was caused to question the faithfulness of God. It was caused to call into question the very faithfulness of God. 2 Kings chapter 25 verses 8 through 11 tells us the story of what happened. It says, On the seventh day of the fifth month in the nineteenth year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzardan, commander of the imperial guard, an official of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army under the commander of the imperial guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. And Nebuzard and the commander of the guard carried into exile the people who remained in the city along with the rest of the populace and those who had deserted to the king of Babylon. It was a hopeless situation. It was a hopeless situation. Imagine the city of Painesville encircled and surrounded by foreign armies. Invasion happening, homes and everything you hold dear destroyed, and then you carried off into bondage and slavery into a foreign land. This is the hopeless situation that the Jewish people were facing. Jerusalem, the city of David, had been destroyed. The temple that Solomon had built to God burned down. And then they themselves carried into exile into a foreign land, away from the land God had promised them and God had given them. The situation seemed hopeless. It seemed like God had forgotten about his people and they questioned the faithfulness of God. Wasn't it this very land 
that they were being taken from. The same land that God had said to Abraham as he looked over the wonderful land. God said, look around from where you are. Look to the north and to the south, to the east and to the west. All the land that you see, I will give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Now, Abraham's offspring, the one that God was talking about, who had inherited this land, they had taken hold of it. God had given it to them, and now they were being driven from it. They were leaving the land that God had promised, and they were asking, God, how could you do this to us? They began to question, God, are you faithful to keep your word? Where is the mighty hand of God who brought us out from Egypt? Where was the power of God who was with Joshua to conquer this land? Where is the protection of God who kept David from the armies of the Philistines? Have you ever been in a situation that seemed so hopeless and where you just called out to God and said, God, where are you? God, you told me that you would give this. You told me that you would be there. You told me that you would do this, and where are you? Where are you? You seem so far away. God, are you faithful? Are you faithful? Have you ever been in a situation where you just want to call out to God and say, God, where are you? This is where the Jewish people are. They're calling out. God, where are you? God, have you forgotten us? God, have you forgotten your promise to David in 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 13, where it says, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself, himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish a throne of his kingdom forever. God had certainly allowed David's son Solomon to build the temple, the house of the Lord in the city of Jerusalem. It was the center of worship to Yahweh God. But just as God allowed it to be built, God had allowed it to be destroyed. More than that, 2 Kings 25, 13 through 15 says this. It says the Babylonians broke up the bronze pillars, the movable stand, the bronze sea that were at the temple of the Lord, and they carried the bronze away to Babylon. They also took the pots, the shovels, wick trimmers, dishes, all the bronze articles used in temple service. The commander of the imperial guard took away the censers, the sprinkling bowls, all that were made of pure gold and pure silver. All the artifacts used in worship to Yahweh in the temple were taken away by the Babylonians. All of it taken away. The city destroyed. The temple burned. The walls broken down. The artifacts taken away. And the Ark of the Covenant missing. This time period in history is where historically and in Scripture the Ark of the Covenant disappears from the pages of history. The Ark of the Covenant, which was the physical representation of the presence of God with His people. And a physical reminder of the covenant that God had made with Abraham, with Moses, and with David. When God told Moses to build the Ark of the Covenant, here's what He said in Exodus. He said, there above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the Ark of the Covenant, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. Inside the Ark of the Covenant laid the Ten Commandments that God Himself had inscribed on tablets of stone with His hand. Inside the Ark of the Covenant laid the staff of Aaron, which had miraculously blossomed and budded without root. Inside the Ark of the Covenant lay a jar of manna that, the Israelites, that God had supplied the Israelites as they wandered 40 years in the wilderness. And the Ark of the Covenant the physical representation of God was missing. This fulfilled what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 3.16. And this is one of 
the hardest portions of Scripture to ever handle. It says, in those days when your numbers have increased greatly in the land, declares the Lord, people will no longer say the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It will never enter their minds or even be remembered. It will not be missed, nor will another one be made. Lord, let that not be in this house. Let it not be in this house that if the presence of God is taken from us, we do not even notice it, and we do not even remember what it was like to stand in the presence of God. Lord, let that never be. Let that never be. This, the destruction of Jerusalem, the fall, starvation, murder, death, the burning of the temple, the missing Ark of the Covenant, the carrying off of the artifacts, the walls being broken down is cause for the Jews to question the faithfulness of God. Listen, there comes a time in our lives, each of us, When the situations we face don't seem to fit with what we believe to be true about God. And when that happens, we can start to doubt the faithfulness of God. But I want to remind you of the text that we read from Lamentations this morning. You see, this text was written by Jeremiah after all this. Destruction of the city, destruction of the temple, walls broken down, artifacts missing, mass murder, starvation and disease in the streets, carrying away of people into slavery, bondage, and exile. And yet Jeremiah writes this, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve for my loss, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. So how? How could he write those words in the midst of such suffering? In the midst of such pain, how could there still be hope in this hopeless situation? I believe the key is found in verse 21, where the poet writes, I dare to hope when I remember. The NIV puts it this way. It says, yet this I call to mind and therefore have hope. This morning, if you're facing a hopeless situation, if you feel like you have no hope, then let this passage be a call to remember something. A call to bring something to the forefront of your mind. The faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. That even when we are unfaithful to Him, He is faithful to us. That the love of the Lord is unfailing. His love never ends. And that his mercies are new each and every morning. We must remember the faithfulness of God and cling to, dare to, hope in him. Church, he's faithful even when we're unfaithful. He's faithful even when we're unfaithful. Here's... A passage in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15 through 18. And uh, this is God speaking through Moses to the people of Israel. This is before they had crossed over into the promised land. Before they had crossed over, right before they were about to cross over. It's Moses' last kind of speech to them before they're crossing over and taking the land that later would be taken away from them. Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 18. Here's what God says. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to keep His commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live in increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your hearts turn away and you are not obedient, if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. God is faithful to keep his word. Even when it's a word of destruction. He told Moses 
and the people of Israel after Moses that they would not live long in the land if they chose to chase after the idols that they worshipped. They did. They chased after idols and God sent prophet after prophet after prophet in his unending love, in his relentless mercy, prophet after prophet saying, stop this, turn back to God. Destruction is coming if you don't turn back to God. Turn away from your evil and turn back to God. And yet, they did not listen. They exiled the prophets. They killed the prophets. They imprisoned the prophets. They would not hear it. They would not listen. God is faithful even when we're unfaithful. And sometimes his faithfulness means that he will bring suffering. It wasn't God's lack of faithfulness that caused the destruction of Jerusalem. It was the lack of people's faithfulness to God. I want to be careful here this morning because I know that a lot of us go through difficult times. And not everything we face is due to our lack of faithfulness to God. It isn't. Sometimes... Even when we're faithful to God, trials, hardships, and sufferings occur, and God allows it to happen. Why? Because he wants us to lean into him. Because he wants us to be more dependent upon him. That's why he does it, and that's why he brought this upon the people. He allowed this to happen so that they would turn their hearts away from what they're worshiping and worship him. And so today, if you're going through a hopeless situation, a situation of pain and suffering, you need to ask yourself, is God wanting me to lean in and be dependent upon him? Or is God wanting me to turn completely away from what I have been trusting and turn to him? Because some of us start trusting in our bank accounts. Some of us start trusting in our own abilities. Some of us start trusting in our jobs, our cars, our houses, our looks, whatever it is. Some of us are trusting things that aren't God. And when that happens, God will be faithful to his word And he will be faithful to you, and he will bring you to a place of decision. Choose this day, life and prosperity or death and destruction. The Old Testament prophets were covenant enforcers. Jeremiah 11, 6 through 8 says, The Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. Listen to the terms of this covenant and follow them. From the time I brought your ancestors up from Egypt until today, I warned them again and again and again, saying, Obey me. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubbornness of their evil hearts. So I brought on them all the curses of the covenant I had commanded them to follow, but they did not keep. God was faithful to keep his word. We must remember that he is faithful even when we're unfaithful. And it means that he will be faithful to lovingly apply the pressure of his righteous indignation upon our lives until we turn our hearts to him. This is not bad news, friends. This is good news. This is good news. Because just as he is faithful to keep his word of punishment, he's faithful to keep his word of promise. Jeremiah 23 says, The days are coming, declares the Lord. When people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, instead they will say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of the countries where I banished them, then they will live in their own land. God speaks this through the prophet of Jeremiah before they were ever banished into exile in Babylon. And God says to Jeremiah that there will come a time, just as I set the people free from their bondage in, Israel, or in Egypt, so I will again set them free from exile in Babylon, and they will return to the land that I promised them. And you can take that promise to the bank because I am faithful to do what I said I would do. God spoke and said that they would come out of the northern lands of Babylon and they would return home. This is a glimpse of hope in the midst of a hopeless situation. And it's in this context where the often quoted Jeremiah 29.11 stands. You may have heard Jeremiah 29.11, but often we don't quote the verse before it, verse 10. Here's what it says. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed in exile in Babylon, 70 years are completed, I will come to you, 
fulfill my good promise, bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. There's hope today because God is faithful. There's hope in what you're facing because even when we're unfaithful to God, He is faithful to us. He always comes through. Always comes through. He told Abraham and Sarah they would have a son even though they were far too old. And they did. He told Joseph his brothers would bow down before him. And they did. He told Moses he would set the people of Israel from, free from slavery in Egypt. And he did. He told David that he would become the king of Israel. And he was. But what I want you to notice about the four statements that I just made is they all happened in God's timing. Not their timing. Sarah didn't have a positive pregnancy test until 25 years after the promise was made. Joseph's brothers didn't bow down to him until 22 years of slavery and imprisonment. David became king of Israel 15 years after he was anointed. And the people of Israel were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And then God said, 70 years in Babylon, and then I'll be faithful to my promise. 70 years, and I'll be faithful. Listen, don't quit trusting in God. Don't quit trusting in Him. Don't give up hope. If He said it, He will do it because He is faithful. Great is the faithfulness of God. Great is His faithfulness. God said 70 years. Before this time, before Babylon invaded, Way before this, when David's line was still on the throne in Jerusalem, before Jerusalem had fallen, a man by the name of Jehoiakim was king in Judah. Jehoiakim was one of David's descendants. And it was during Jehoiakim's reign that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians first showed up in Jerusalem. They first showed up and they demanded that Jerusalem pay tribute to them. So Jehoiakim taxed the people of Judah heavily and they paid tribute to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. But then Nebuchadnezzar left from Jerusalem and he went and he went to war with Egypt. And when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians were at war in Egypt, Jehoiakim thought he's busy with somebody else. So we're going to stop paying him money. We're going to stop paying him tribute because I know that the Egyptians are going to defeat the Babylonians. And when they do, why, why waste our money paying them? And so what Jehoiakim did was he put his trust in Egypt instead of putting his trust in God. He put his trust that Egypt would defeat his enemies instead of saying God would defeat my enemies. Babel, Babylon conquered Egypt. And when they did, Nebuchadnezzar was furious when he returned to Jerusalem and they didn't have the tribute that he required. And he killed King Jehoiakim. And he placed his son Jehoiachin on the throne of Judah and Jerusalem. Jehoiachin was just as good as his father Jehoiakim. And he only lasted three months before Nebuchadnezzar came back and took him away as his prisoner to Babylon. And then Nebuchadnezzar looked for someone he could bully into submission. And so he put Jehoiakim's brother, Mataniah, on the throne. But what Nebuchadnezzar did... And I want you to see this part. Nebuchadnezzar changed Mataniah's name to Zedekiah. Listen, when you begin to accept the names and the labels that other people give you, you give them control over you. Don't accept names and labels from other people. Accept the name and label that God has for you. Accept the label and the calling that God has for you. Don't let other people control you. Mataniah accepted the name Zedekiah and he was a faithful puppet king of Nebuchadnezzar for about nine years until Nebuchadnezzar again was angry. Nine years into his reign, 588 B.C., that's when Nebuchadnezzar showed up with his armies. They blockaded the city and the destruction of Jerusalem took place. And it looked like the line of David would come to an end with Zedekiah. It looked as all hope would be lost. It looked like God had forgotten his promise to David that forever his line 
would be on the throne. But then the book of Jeremiah ends on a note of hope. Jeremiah 52, 31 through 33. Here's what it says. In the 37th year, God's timing, in the 37th year of exile, Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the year Awel Marduk became king of Babylon, on the 25th day of the 12th month, he released Jehoiachin, king of Judah. He freed him from prison. He spoke kindly to him, gave him a seat of honor higher than those of the other kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin put aside his prison clothes for the rest of his life and ate regularly at the king's table. Isn't that what God does for us? He rescues us from prison. He says, put aside your prison clothes and come and eat at the king's table. Isn't that what he did for us? 37 years after Jehoiachin had been imprisoned, God is faithful and releases him because he's faithful to the promise he made to David. God was not done with David's line. God was not done with the Jewish people. It was Jehoiachin's grandson who was named Zerubbabel, who in 516 B.C., exactly 70 years after the fall of Jerusalem, rebuilt the temple. Exactly 70 years. Tell me my God's not faithful. Tell me my God's not faithful. He is faithful. He will accomplish exactly what he said he would accomplish in his timing. This is the promise that God had made to David in 2 Samuel 7, 16. Here's what God said to David. He said, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And this promise was kept through Jehoiachin. It was kept through Zerubbabel, David's heir. Zerubbabel became the great, 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 grandfather of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, who sits enthroned on the throne of David forever. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. He reigns forever. Forever he reigns. When all seemed lost, when hope was gone, God came through because he is faithful and now the faithful one reigns forever on David's throne. Forever and ever. It seemed like it was over. It seemed like the end had come. It seemed like David's lion had been snuffed out and cut off. But Isaiah 11.1 says, a shoot will rise from the stump of Jesse. A shoot will will rise from the stump of Jesse. You see, the enemy had thought that that tree was cut down and that there was only a dead stump remaining, but a shoot, Jehoiachin, rised from the stump of David, from the stump of Jesse, and Jesus now sits on the throne forevermore. When it seems hopeless, there's always hope. And listen, church, we don't have a baseless hope. We don't. Our hope is based in the firm foundation of the faithfulness of God. There's got to come a time in your life when you stop telling God how big your problems are and start telling your problems how faithful your God is. Because He is faithful. He is faithful, and because He's faithful, you can have hope. See, He told ten lepers to go and show themselves to the priest, and they would be healed, and they were. He told a blind man to wash in the pool of Shalom and he would see and he saw. He told his disciples that he would die and in three days raised from the grave and he 
did conquering death, hell, and the grave. And personally, he told me that he would never leave me nor forsake me. And there hasn't been a moment, church, there hasn't been a second where he has left me or forsaken me because my God is faithful to accomplish exactly what he said he would accomplish. He is faithful. And because he's faithful, we have to take him seriously when he says he's coming again soon. Because he's faithful, we have to take it seriously when he says he's coming again soon. We have to. Because everything he said, he did. And so, there's one more thing that has yet to come. One last thing that he has said that has yet to happen. And it's, he says, see, I am coming again soon. See, I am coming again soon. Are you prepared? Are you prepared for his coming? Are you prepared? Do you take his word seriously? He is faithful, church. He is, and he is coming again soon. See, when we find ourselves in a hopeless situation, the first thing we have to do is we have to remember that God is faithful even when we are unfaithful. And the second thing we have to do is we have to remember that his love is unfailing. It is. We can't even begin to comprehend the love that God has for us. It's unlike any other love that you or I have ever experienced. His love is unfailing, everlasting, never-ending. It was this love that compelled him to send his son Jesus to die in our place. Hebrews 9.22 says this. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so God was faithful to his word. His faithfulness demanded blood be shed, but his love demanded that it be his own blood. For you and for me. If you're anything like me, then we need forgiveness. Our culture doesn't want to call anything sin because we have this humanistic belief that we're all good, that we are perfect in and of ourselves, that we are good and holy. And if anybody says anything against that, then you've hurt my feelings and shame on you. But if each of us would examine our thoughts, our attitudes, our heart, we would totally see how depraved, vile, and vicious the thoughts and the actions, the attitudes of our heart really are. Because they are totally against God. Even the best of us, the very best of us, the prophet Isaiah writes, is as filthy rags before the righteousness of God. That's why Christ came into the world he lived a sinless life none of us could have lived. He died the death that every single one of us deserved. And now, because of his blood, he invites us to accept the gift of forgiveness that he made possible and paid the price for through his blood. And those of us who have received the free gift of forgiveness and salvation, those of us who have invited him to be Lord over our lives, he's preparing a place for us. In heaven, a perfect place where there will be no tears, no sin, no pain. Sounds like a fairy tale to you? Well, since you haven't proved yourself by rising from the dead like Jesus did, then I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to trust what he said because he's faithful to do exactly what he said he will do. So if you haven't accepted his free gift of forgiveness this morning, I implore you to consider accepting Jesus into your heart. Humbly ask him for forgiveness. Allow him to change your life. It'll be the best decision you can ever make. Church, he's faithful. He's faithful even when we're unfaithful. His love is unfailing. And quickly, the third thing that we need to remember is that his mercies are new every morning. That's what Lamentation says. His mercies are new every morning morning. Each day comes with a new opportunity to hope in the faithfulness of God. That verse reminds me of the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness and they didn't have food to eat. And every morning, God provided manna 
outside for them. And God said to them, don't take of it and store it, except on the day before the Sabbath. Only on the day before the Sabbath are you to take manna and store it and keep it for the next day. Otherwise, if you store it, it will spoil. But they didn't need to hoard it. They didn't need to store it. They didn't need to ration it. Why? Because every morning, it was there. Every morning, he was faithful. Every morning, it was there. His mercies are new each and every morning. Just like that manna. Each and every morning, his mercies are new And so, I think this is why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. Don't worry about tomorrow because you don't have tomorrow's mercies for tomorrow until tomorrow. Worry about today because today you've got today's mercies. But some of us are trying to use today's mercies on tomorrow. And that's just going to cause anxiety and stress and frustration. Use the mercy that he's given you for today. Wait for the mercy tomorrow to get through tomorrow because he's faithful to give it new every morning. He's faithful to give it new and fresh every morning. His mercies are new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. He's faithful. He's faithful. I'm gonna invite the worship team if they would to make their way forward as we close this message. I pray that Lamentations chapter 3 has been as much encouragement to you as it has been to me. I pray that this message of hope, I, I, I pray that for those in this room that look at their situation, that bills might be piling up, that doctor's reports seem bad, that, that things seem terrible today, I I pray that you could have hope in the faithfulness of God. I pray that the words of lamentation would encourage you to dare to hope in His faithfulness today. Here's what I've said all this today. All the things that I've said, I've said to tell you one thing. You can trust in a faithful God. If you didn't hear anything else I said, take this to lunch with you. You can trust in a faithful God. And listen, that's easier said than done, and I get it. It sure is. But trusting God is made that much easier when you recognize that he is faithful, that he's 100% reliable, that he's never failed and he never will, that he's good in all circumstances, that his love is never failing, that his mercies are new each and every morning. Today, if, if you're here and you've been listening to me talk about this faithful God and, you, and your heart has been stirring and you said, I, I, I don't know this faithful God that you've been talking about. Pastor James, I, I don't know this faithful God. I don't have a relationship with this faithful God that you've been talking about today. If you don't have a relationship with God this morning, let me tell you, he loves you unconditionally. And he has provided the opportunity today for you. Jesus said this in Revelation 3.20. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He's standing at the door of your heart knocking today. If you don't have a relationship with him, I want to ask you, would you humbly ask for his forgiveness? Would you invite him to be Lord of your life? Would you invite a faithful God to reign over your life today? With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, in just a minute, we're going to sing praise and worship to God, but we can't miss this opportunity. This morning, if you would say, I have never asked forgiveness of a faithful God. I don't know today. If if today were to be my last day, I don't know if I would end up in a perfect place of heaven. I don't know because I don't have that relationship with that faithful God you've been talking about and I want it. Today, if you would say for the first time or you would say, I've done this before but I haven't been living right and today I'm turning my heart around. I'm repenting and turning my heart to God. 
If, you would, if, if that would be you today, either for the first time or you're turning back to God, would you just slip your hand up right where you are and put it right back down? Just slip your hand up and put it right back down. Yeah, I see those hands. Anyone else? Would anyone else want to give their life to Christ today? Amen. Amen. All right. Would you, church, repeat after me in prayer today? Dear Father, I know you're faithful. I know you love me. Thank you for sending your son to die on a cross for me. Come into my heart. Forgive me my sin. Be Lord of my life. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time, I believe that God has changed your life, that he's taken away your heart of stone, given you a heart of flesh, that he is Lord of your life. Follow him. Follow him. In just a moment, we're going to close by singing a song that was inspired by Lamentations chapter 3. Great is thy faithfulness. God is faithful to accomplish what he said he would. Thomas Chrisholm the man who wrote the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, here's what, he, here's what he also wrote. He wrote, My income has not been large at any time due to impaired health in earlier years, which has followed me on until now. Although I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God, that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care for which I am filled with astonishing gratefulness. Church, if you trust in a faithful God, then here is your response today. Because one of the most difficult verses of Scripture that I've ever read says that then came a next generation in Israel who knew neither God nor the things that God had done for Israel. If you believe God is faithful, then tell your story. Then tell your story of faithfulness to the next generation because they need to know in the faithfulness of God. They need to know that he is faithful, church. They need to know it. So tell your story to the generation. generations. Tell of his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. This morning, if you're going through a, a hopeless situation, a painful and, and struggling time, I'm gonna invite our prayer team to come forward. They would love to pray with you today and to assure you of God's great faithfulness for you today. And so as we sing this song, would everybody just stand to their feet this morning. Stand to your feet as we sing the song. If you are going through a hopeless situation, would you come and receive prayer? Because he is faithful. Let's declare his faithfulness this morning. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.